Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the fellowship as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. We're going to jump into some babbling like butter, but I'm going to check in with my brother over there in the snowy state of Michigan. What's going on? What's new? It's been a couple weeks. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. We, uh, like you said, we we're getting some snow. I feel like we got snow for Christmas and then it didn't snow again until like the end of January. And since then, we've probably gotten like close to three feet total um, in the last like two months, month and a half, something like that. So it's it's definitely snowing a lot, trying to catch up for it or uh, for not snowing earlier on in the season. But I think I think we're still about ready to break free from it here in a few weeks. Whew, man, a lot of shoveling, huh? Yes, I have spent a lot of time shoveling, but at the same time, I don't mind. I mean, throw on uh, Children of Poor an audiobook and uh, <laughs> get a decent little workout in as I shovel. It's it's not a bad it's not a bad way to spend some time. No, it doesn't seem like a terrible gig. How's uh how's the wife and kid? Oh, fantastic! Amanda and Ev are doing great. I right before we started, I was taking Opie out, and apparently Ev heard me talking to Opie and was just like making happy noises and Amanda was like she hears you she hears you (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's cool it's a good feeling to know like that you bring joy to your kid and that when they hear your voice and in Evelyn's case when she hears my voice she just starts getting all excited and kind of had to break her heart not to go in and say hi because we're jumping in here but I I yelled at her (laughs) said hey (laughs) it's fun though it's fun how about for you guys how's Ariel holding up She's doing okay. You know, the the sec- first trimester is done and over with, which has been great as far as like physically. She feels a lot better. She isn't as sick and, you know, she can work out a little bit better. But at the same time, uh, there's just still a lot of stuff going on in her life with uh, obviously fostering and stuff has been really, really tough. And so on top of the, the emotional roller coaster of being pregnant, I think she's she's just getting really tired and we need a break, I think, from a lot of stuff for a little while. Um, not sure when that'll be, but we're just kind of feeling very tired, uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually, all that. But other than that, I mean, we're, we really are doing pretty well together. We're uh, like, I, I mentioned before we started the podcast, she's going to make some mom's uh, cinnamon rolls tomorrow for me. So that's super exciting. And, uh, we're just going to spend some good time together and hang out this weekend. Um, hopefully and not have a too much going on. So, should be refreshing yeah that'll be a good little little break you know getting to eat some of mom's cinnamon rolls and chill out a little bit pregnancy makes everything a lot more complicated it just the emotions that ebb and flow and not feeling well and anytime you go anywhere it's like you have to think through like all right there's more to it than just getting in the car and leaving now i mean and that only gets you know harder as you have a kid you have to start planning yeah. to leave even earlier at that point. But I know <laughs> I know how that goes, so hopefully she'll, you know, be able to just relax a little bit and you know, the pregnancy, the rest of it'll go pretty smoothly is my hope. Yeah, yeah, same here. We've definitely done a lot of like the prep for the baby coming and just starting to buy stuff and look at things we need. And there's just so much that you need to get for a child. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I mean, I keep thinking like 
we didn't have any of this back in you know olden days and kids survived and then i think well okay maybe half of the kids survived so i guess yeah but i I don't think i don't think they didn't survive because they didn't get a special toy or a special like carrier or a special stroller (laughs) i think i don't know there's just i think it's a massive massive market is you know pregnancy and babies and they market it as if you need every little thing that they talk about when in reality there's a handful of things that are super helpful and useful and the rest of it you either don't use or you use a couple of times and you're like well that was a waste of money sure yeah that might be the case for a couple of things we put on the registry but i said ariel we have to have these on the registry number one little baby weight dumbbells uh like shaker dumbbells uh hey yeah you got one too (laughs) i believe it was levi and rachel that that gave us these. That's so cute. I love it. That was the <laughs> first one. And then a couple onesies we put on the registry. Uh, one says it comes in pints and it has a little <laughs> bottle. So I was like, yes, that's, that's a have to. That's and happening. Then the other one is says Lord of the Rings. And then it has the, like the, the ring towers, like the baby ring towers that you play with. Yeah. Like Fisher price toys. And so nice. we're just like, yeah, we got to We got to have some fun. Yeah. With it. I mean, yeah, you have to have some fun with it too. I mean, why not? Right. <laughs> yeah. For the first kid, we'll, we'll splurge a little bit and have fun with it. And I'm sure like mom and dad for, for the rest of us, it's like, yeah, hand-me-downs and whatever else yep. we can find is fine. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, all right, well, let's jump into Riddles in the Dark then. Uh, well, this segment, if you're new to the podcast, is where we look through our three-in-one Lord of the Rings book to find a couple of sentences of dialogue to stump the other person, see if they can figure out where this, where in the book we're reading from, chapter and the context, and uh, bonus points for the characters as well. So uh, we're going to flip through here. Uh, Seth, why don't, you, uh, why don't you go first? Give me something good. Something easy. Hmm. He's smiling. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I don't like this. This one. This one will be pretty hard, but I'll even give you the name of the character that says it. Well, you don't have to do that. Just, I, just read it first, and then you, then, uh, then you can. You'll need it. You'll need it. Um, oh, thanks. But, all right. Really- fine. I won't. Oh, here we go. Here we go. He wouldn't hear not if some of you weren't sneaks. He wouldn't hear not if some of you weren't sneaks. Exactly. Okay, fine. Yeah, you can give me the character. <laughs> name is Hob. Said Hob hotly. It wouldn't hear not if some of you here weren't sneaks, rejoined Hob hotly. Okay, so this is I'm gonna get I'm gonna guess Ooh, yeah, I'm gonna guess uh con- conspiracy unmasked in the Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so it's the opposite, so it's when they've come back. In the Return of the King, yeah. the Scourging of the Shire. Scouring, but close Scouring. enough. Scourging, Scourging of the Orcs. <laughs> Commander Scouring. of the Northern Armies. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, Scouring of the Shire is my guess for the chapter. That is correct. The Hob is talking. He's talking to, I'd say, the, the Hobbits as they come back. All and right. Okay. Sam. I'll give you the next sentence and then you'll probably know. All right, all right. That's quite enough. I don't want to hear no more. No welcome, no beer, no smoke, and a lot of rules and orc talk instead. Is that Mary? Nope. Is it Sam? It is. It's Okay, so it's Sam. Got it. Yeah, it's do you want to guess the context? More well, so, so they than... Yeah, I mean they came to I, I imagine it's either the is it the inn? Um the 
oh gosh, the Green Dragon, is it? Or the other one? No, they don't go to the the Green Dragon because it's like all the ends and stuff are closed when they right. get back. No, it's when... Uh, or they at the gate. It's afterwards when they've been, and I'm using air quotes, arrested by the, oh, yeah. the, chief's, uh, the chief's sheriffs. Gotcha, right, and right. Sam finds Hob Hayward because he knows yeah. him and starts talking to him. Okay. I mean, that's a, that's a very hard one. Yeah, that's that's one that I don't read often, and it's obviously not in the movies, so it doesn't come to come to the forefront of your mind very well. But that's a good point. Yeah, that's you did well though. You did well. Uh, whew, thanks. Okay, let me uh, let me find something for you. Let's do this. Okay, this uh, this could be good. Here we go. Does not the black gate lie yonder? Said she, and must he not now become hither? It is seven days since he rode away. Seven days, but think not ill of me. If I say to you, they have brought me both joy and pain. All right, all right, all right. You don't even need a tie. It's Houses of Healing. It's uh, Aon talking to Faramir. Wrong. Really? Is it not the Houses of Healing? It's not the Houses of Healing. It's It's the chapters after that, after (laughs) they've already gotten the Black Gate. The steward and the king, yes. Okay, this is when he confesses his love to her. Yeah, I should have probably just read one sentence like you did, but I made it easy. <laughs> I still fun. think I still think I would have gotten that. that, that yeah. That's a pretty easy one. I I really love that part of the book. Like they tried to they, they touched on it a little bit in the extended version. It was just kind of like, hey, they like each other, cool. But I really love how like the whole process of Faramir just kind of waiting for Eowyn to be like, okay, I'm over Aragorn. There's this other really valiant guy here who likes me. And he's actually really cool. I I love how Faramir approaches it in that scene where he in the in the books and he's basically like, well, there's two reasons, maybe. And it's basically like, one, you like me or two um, and you don't want to leave or two because he's asking her why she's lingering in the houses. of Yeah. Yeah, and not going to meet Aomer, and it's like, or two, you don't want to see Aragorn in all his glory because it's going to be too painful for you. Or it could sure. be a combination of the two. And I think that the way he phrases it and pushes Aowen, it's like, it's one of those questions you ask somebody when you know the answer, but you need mm-hmm. them to figure it out for themselves. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, it, like you said, it's that part is beautifully done. We never have those kind of questions for our wives, right? Where we already know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that's good. Well, very good. Seth uh, wins another one. Uh, We'll give him another point for the riddles in the dark, but I I think yours was a lot. The one that you had to guess. Yeah. (laughs) I need to, I need to do better opening up my, my book intentionally with something that could be more difficult or just like randomly grab from the Hobbit and see if you notice. (laughs) Probably wouldn't. Uh, that'd be funny. That, anyway, that would be interesting. Uh, jumping into tidings from the fellowship, still haven't heard anything um, as far as how y'all are doing, or if you're enjoying children parents. So please send in your thoughts. Uh, it's just even if you aren't reading the book but are listening to the podcast, tell us what you think, and we'd love to hear what you are thinking about that. But I I put it here in the doc. Fun idea for next podcast. I was because ask what that is. Yeah, because yeah. I was thinking about it. It's been almost a year since we started podcasting really i think our let me let me go back and look i think our first podcast probably around yeah april 
in April, but we obviously recorded a little bit ahead of time. So our first one came out April 25th. So about a month, okay. a month away, which I think we recorded in like a month early. So we're coming up on our one year anniversary and I thought it'd be fun to do a little uh, well-earned comforts trivia with you, Seth. So I'm going to find uh, some, I'm just going to do a little deep dive in through the episodes and uh, something I've okay. noticed from all the editing that I do whenever I ask, you know, how you doing is at the start of babbling with like Butterbur is, Oh, I'm good, buddy is the first thing you always say. So I'm going to maybe see how many times of the podcast do you say I'm good, buddy. <laughs> uh, we'll find other things. Oh we'll find gosh. other Sethisms or, or anything like that. I, I do have a problem doing that. Levi, a few years back, Levi and Rachel made fun of me because whenever he would ask a question that was like a yes answer type of thing, it would be like, yeah, for sure, man. And they went through and they're like, you say that to everything. And then they went through and scrolled on like Levi's <laughs> phone. And just like, that's what you say every time. Ah, oh, crap. All right, fine. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I've got a, I've got a couple other Sethisms that I'll, I'll bring up for our one year anniversary. Right. It'll be fun. Right. <laughs> but that could uh, be fun. Yeah, yeah, and and we just get to celebrate a little bit. One one year podcasting, talking about Tolkien, so should be fun. What are we talking about today? Well, for today's meat and potatoes, uh, jumping into the lore, it's not quite as fun. Um, like we have reiterated many many times throughout this uh, read through of Children of Huron, it's a it's a tragic tragic story and. Tolkien, and I'll touch more on this in a little bit, but Tolkien is able to show tragedy in the busy chapters, like the last one with killing, you know, the killing of Beleg, the death of Beleg, and the tragedy that we'll get to in this chapter, not very action-packed necessarily, but you still feel the deep tragedy that is just the underlying theme of this entire story. Um, Yeah. So kind of picking up on the story where we, we left off with uh, Gwyndor bringing Turin to Nargothrond. Uh, Gwyndor was able to bring Turin in because, you know, he was a he was an elf of Nargothrond. And at first, his, his own people didn't recognize him. I, if I remember correctly, Tolkien says that um, he looked more like an aged of the secondborn rather than an uh, elven lord, meaning that elves don't look like they age all that fast and with all the torture and torment and hard work as a as a thrall and angband they couldn't recognize him so gwyndor has gone through it as the kids say these days yes however there was an elf maiden who recognized him immediately and this elf maiden was finduilas who was the daughter of oradreth and oradreth is the king of nardothrond at this point and this was his daughter, and they she knew him because they were actually engaged to be married before the Near Nyeth Arnoidiad, before the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Fenduilas was engaged to marry Gwyndor. Um, but then, of course, Gwyndor went missing, and this was... How old was Turin when they rode off? I forget. He was like four or five, maybe, right? So... Yeah, he was really young. So it's been probably almost 20 years. years. Yeah, 15 to 20 15, years, yeah. somewhere in there. Um, I'm sure we could find the exact dates, because Tolkien sure. is very specific about that (laughs) stuff but yeah we'll say 15 years i mean she hasn't seen her fiance in 15 years but she recognizes him immediately um and because turin is accompanying gwendor you know the future son-in-law to the king uh he's led into the city and gwendor speaks very highly of turin and advocates for him and introduces him with his his actual name turin and at this point i i just imagine 
Turin getting kind of like wide-eyed and like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. I, I'm running from that name. I'm running from that name. And he interrupts Gwyndor and he says, my name is Argawain, the son of Umarth, which means the blood-stained son of ill fate, which is fitting. I mean, it's very fitting and it's a very heavy name that he takes upon himself. And like Sam and I have talked about, Turin just keeps changing his names. He's always running from this doom that Morgoth has, has put on him and his family, but he's always changing his name in, in hopes to avoid that. Yeah. So here in Nargothrond, the elves actually took the sword Anglicel and they reforged it and fixed it up. And Turin was then known afterwards as the Mormagil or the Black Sword. So they would refer to him as the Mormagil. Um, and Turin actually, again, with the names, he switched the name of Anglicel to Gurthang, Iron Death. So he's not only changing his name, he's changing the sword's name. And I have a feeling this is just, he wants a fresh start in Argothrond. The sword killed his best friend. He wants the sword to have a fresh start. Um, so, yeah, he's just off changing names left and right. <laughs> yeah, and he's not done doing that. We'll see. We'll see more <laughs> as we go are. along. Uh, but it didn't take long for Turin to gain favor of the king, just like he would have in uh, in Doriath with King Thingol. He, you know, because of his skill, his prowess, and the hatred for for orcs, Ordreth the king admitted him to his council, and there Turin spoke very hotly about how the elves have been doing their business. He's like, you guys have been hiding and sneaking around and fighting in secrecy. And that was their whole thing. You know, you remember the Baron and Luthien story. He's holding up the, the yep. ring of Barry here saying, ah, like, I know you're out there, but just please don't kill me. And Turin's saying like, we enough of this secrecy. Like we need to go meet Morgoth in battle head on. And uh, Gwyndor was also admitted to the council as well, especially spending so much time with uh, Morgoth and Angband. He's he's put on the council, and he's like, no, Turin, I've seen Morgoth's power. Like, there's no way we could just go out and fight him and beat him. Like, that's that's not a possibility. And he he even said, uh, and I quote, "Petty victories will prove profitless at last. For thus Morgoth learns where the boldest of his enemies are to be found and gathers strength great enough to destroy them." All the might of elves and Edain united sufficed only to contain him, meaning, you know, the, the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, he's refer referencing to that. And only in secrecy lies the hope of survival, until the Valar come. Which, at this point in my book, has just some cool uh, illustrations, yeah. uh, I think from, uh, uh, what's his name? You, you know, you know Alan, what I'm talking about. Alan, Alan Lee. Lee right? Alan Lee, yeah. yeah. Looks like it's Hurin on the Iron Throne, kind of looking out, watching his son and uh fl the flying of the eagles to the city of gondolin the hidden city of gondolin stuff like that so pretty neat little break there as i as i was reading to continue on tour and he he scorned at the mention of the valor he's like the valor oh, okay yeah whatever and he, he goes on to strongly strongly suggest that there's no secrecy for Morgoth at all, that eventually all will fall to his darkness. And so Turin instead argues that the best option again is to fight and gain glory, whether in living or dying for the life of a man is much shorter than an elf. So he's, he's saying like, we, we fight for honor. We fight for glory. We don't just hide away and live as long as we can. Our lives are short anyway. So it's no big deal if we die 20 years earlier than we were supposed to. It's kind of what his thought process is here. And he's saying men would rather die in battle than, you know, run away and submit their time to Morgoth. He, he says, and I quote, even the Lords of the West will honor it. And it is not written in the history of Arda, which neither Morgoth nor Manway can unwrite. 
And so he's he's pretty much saying again that yeah, even the Valar that you say will come will honor our our deeds. And so we just need to go out there and and fight these guys. And they go back and forth. You can read the dialogue, uh, but they they disagreed a lot and respectfully though. You know there was no drinking vessels thrown into the face of anybody this time around. Um, they just kind of debated hotly, but. You know, they finished their debate by saying uh, Turin mentions the women of the Eden. He, he kind of brings them about and he says, yeah, they didn't hold back when the men of the House of Hador went to fight in the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. And like they just said, yeah, go ahead, do that. And Gwendor was like, well, yeah, but they faced greater woe than if that battle had never been fought. Hence the name, the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. And so this is, I think, interesting that his heart has completely changed. His mind has completely changed from when he was fighting because he left behind his betrothed to go fight this battle and he was the first one to lead the charge like he was the one to take off running into the gates of of angband and obviously it's because he saw his brother's arms ripped off in front of him but you know you can see he's he's shifted from this brave valiant warrior to no 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 no, no. we can't there's nothing we can do against morgoth let's just hide away and live as long as we can yeah it, at one point during this dialogue um Turin even tells tells Gwyndor and Orodreth that Melian has prophesied that Morgoth will never come back out of Angband, and so it'll only be his, you know, his vessels, his orcs, his dragons, his Balrogs. Only they will come forth, and and Turin kind of sees that as like, well, if Morgoth himself isn't going to come out, we're cowards if we're not going to take the fight to his vessels. Like we can cut off the hands of of or the black hand, basically, is what he's saying the fingers and the black hand of Morgoth because he won't come himself. And he's like, we can take, you know, the orcs and whatever minions Morgoth throws at us. And so like Sam's mentioning, this goes on for a while. There's a lot of debate on what the best course of action is because Gwyndor, you know, this is the way his elves of Nargothrond have, have always done this since the battle of unnumbered tears. And Turin, he's always looking for his next group of people to lead into battle i guess he's you know he tried doing it with you know the elves in uh in doriath and he did it with his outlaw company and now he's trying to like convince the elves of nargathron like hey like let's go come on and so despite all the disagreements turin gained a lot of favor with oradreth and oradreth appointed nope you got pints in my brain um he appointed (laughs) him as his chief counselor and submitted all things uh, to his advice in terms of doing battle, uh, which, as Sam puts in the doc, maybe not the best plan, um, as as we've seen from Turin's uh, story up until this point. So because of Turin, the elves forsake the... I cannot speak today. They forsook... (laughs) Forsook... their secrecy yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah, (laughs) their secrecy that's kind of a weird thing to say um and actually began to fight in open war and turin was you know very much the opposite of gwendor who wanted to just hide back and he had seen the power of angband and he'd been marred by the power of angband and he's missing an arm and he's been hurt and turin is you know he's young but he's in the full stature of manhood um, and yes, Sam, as the, you've questioned <laughs> in the document here, I believe you have reached your full manhood. Um, oh, good. Shoot. Thank God. You know, give yourself a little pat on the back. You've made it. <laughs> I can't reach. My um, biceps are too big. I tried. All right, that's how I know you're my little brother. And if anybody from work is listening, they would know that too. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, they're they're two very different approaches, but it's also because of their stature and their lived experiences why those those are different. And so T- Tolkien describes Turin as he was like one of those of the house of the Noldor. He was so skilled and valiant that everybody in Argothron was basically saying he can't be slain other than by mishappen or mischance, like mishappenstance or an evil arrow from afar. Basically, you can't kill this guy unless it's just a lucky a lucky hit because he's so his prowess is just incredible. Yeah, nobody's gonna yeah. outskill him in battle. Correct. Yep. Uh, and so they gave him dwarven mail to guard him, and the armories. And in the armories, he found a dwarven mask, and he began to wear that in battle. Which a couple of interesting things about that. I wonder why the dwarven mail over the elven mail that they could have yeah. had on hand. Maybe just it was better made. I don't know. Um, but you notice he he also takes a dwarven helm into battle. He's not taking the dragon helm of Dor Loman. He's still probably has that helmet with him um hmm. i imagine Maybe i was wondering like, if he, when... yeah i was wondering when was like captured. the orcs pillaged the the house of ransom if they took the dragon helm with them as like a as a prized possession you know and then turin wouldn't have gotten it back when gwindor and Belleg rescued him I don't, I don't know yeah that's that's interesting yeah you could be right there i'm not sure um and even if he did have it, I'm sure part of the reason he wouldn't have taken it up is he's running from his, you know, his previous life. He doesn't want to be known as as the Dragon Helm of Dor Loman anymore. Right. So things were looking good for Turin here in Argothron. He was well known. He was well liked. He was the counselor of the king. Um, he was he wasn't the moody kind of teenager that he was in Doriath. Everyone was nice to him, and he was nice to others. And they often called him. Adanahel? Adanahel? Adanahel. I don't know. Adanahel, um, which means elf man, because he was so elf-like to them that a lot of people from afar, or a lot of elves from afar, mistook him for one of them. Is this what Gandalf says when trying to open the doors of Moria in the movie? It sounded like, because I was reading this, and I, I guess I never actually said it out loud, but like, because when he's that Adanahel, Edrohiamen, like he... I, I could be completely wrong, but I feel like that's what he said. I mean, like, but I, I mean, it wouldn't make sense really like elf man, open gates. I, I don't know. It, it, it sounds similar, but maybe it's probably not. Probably not. It does kind of sound similar to what he says, but yeah, the context doesn't really add up. So I kind of doubt it, but that's yeah. a good thought. I mean, that's kind of fun to try to draw those connections. Yeah. Sam wrote this little part. I've never even heard this. Turin also had some Riz, as the kids are calling it these days. I'm going to just stop here, Sam. What is Riz? I It took me a long time to figure this out. I had a lot of my students have to explain it to me many, many times. It's pretty much just like Turin had game. He he okay. he had a game with the ladies. And so if you have Riz, if you have good Riz, like you you know, you can shoot your shot with a girl and, and she likes you or you gain the attention of the girls quickly. So and I don't know why it's called Riz. I don't know how that came about. I just, that's, I might I have to hear the dictionary that one a little bit later. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that term. Oh man. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I mean, I'm 25 years old and these kids look at me like I'm 50. <laughs> what, you haven't heard of riz i'm like no man i've been married for four years like i don't need game i don't like i'm not looking for the attention of girls anymore bro but, oh, yeah they're looking at me like 
All right. Well, then that and within that context, it makes sense because yeah. um, Turin <laughs> found favor in the daughter of Orodreth, uh, Fenduilas, and he didn't really even try to, which I guess maybe is the meaning of Riz. He just wasn't yeah. even really trying, and she she fell in love with him, um, and her heart was moved that whenever he was around, she uh, Turin took pleasure in her, for she reminded him of the women of Dorloman, uh, his childhood home. So. As the story goes forward, you'll kind of see where these two deviate and what they feel towards each other. But Finduilas is seeing him as like this lordly man, and she's like falling in love with him. And Finduilas is reminding him of his previous life. They began to to hang out at first with Gwyndor around, and then after a while, she sought out Turin alone, and she questioned him about the race of men, and and they they became very friendly and talked a lot. And Turin at one point says that he had a sister, Lulaith, and how Fendulus reminded him of like a queen, but also her. And he says, like, I wish that I had a sister so fair. And she turns to him and is like, well, you are kingly, and I wish I had a brother so fair. When she says this to him, that he's kingly, and that she wishes she had a brother so fair, um, she says that Argawain should shouldn't be his name nor Adondahel because it's you know she's he's too high for those names she gives him a different name so this time it's somebody else giving him another name but it's Thurin the secret which is interesting because from her perspective she's probably trying to keep it a secret that she is falling in love with him Mm. and from his perspective he doesn't want anybody to know about him or his past and he's always running from his doom so it's a secret um, so yeah, that is very, very creative. And, and Turin basically like was taken aback and he's like, no, that's not my name, nor, nor am I king for our king or of the Eldar, which I think is because Thurin is very close to Turin and it probably, you know, made his heart stop for a second because Fenduilas doesn't know his real name up until this point. So after a lot of conversations, Turin sensed that Gwyndor's friendship was, was growing cold towards him, which is obvious if you're, you know, Gwendor and you see what's going on. I mean, your your fiance is falling in love with another man, even if even if she hasn't come out and said it yet. Um, but Turin is just kind of oblivious to all of this at this point. And so he starts, you know, questioning Gwendor as to as to why he's become cold towards him. I find it funny, you know, is is Fendulias, Fendulias, is that how you said? It? I, I was like, as I was reading, it was like Fendulas, but I guess there is that I there, so Fendulas. That's um, how Christopher Lee pronounces it. Yeah, so. well, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's correct. Um, <laughs> but she, yeah, she's she sees Turin. Not only is he kingly, but he's super attractive, like the most handsome guy in town, and he doesn't hurt that he has both of his arms still. Whereas Gwyndor <laughs> that uh, helps. Yeah, that helps. Gwyndor, poor guy, he does, he does not. <laughs> So when Turin noticed, like, hey, what's going on? Like, why are you being so, so weird to me? He starts talking to him and he notices that, you know, at first the horror and the woe that Gwyndor's imprisonment and Angband, you know, seemed to get better. Like when they first got there, like he seemed to feel better about it. But now he's slipping back into that dark thought. Like he's just becoming more and more kind of depressed and, and very anxious and scared. And so he felt tender towards him. He kind of pitied him because he loved this guy. He saved his life and he healed him. And, and so Turin's kind of indebted it to him because he guided him to Nargothron and gave him this really great life that he's been living for the past little while. But as, as 
Tolkien goes back, she he he talks about Vinduelas again and and how the darkness fell upon her as well and her beauty. And he said there's a kind of a light about her that was just dimmed because of the the words that Gwyndor had been speaking to him because i mean turin was like why is why do you seem like like your radiance is gone like why are you seem so so different and he he suspected that it was because of gwindor's words that set fear in her heart of what might come to pass and you know even though gwindor is of dark thought he he does seem to have some foresight here like it's interesting i don't know if that's just his i mean you you can have fear of something which is natural, but to have like fear of exactly what's going to happen, like before it happens, I don't know. It seems like I kind of get Elrond vibes here. Like he's got that foresight. Um, I don't know. But anyway, turning back to the King's daughter, Fendulas was torn because she honored Gwyndor and, and pitied him. Like she sees him like the, the half the man that she once loved and, and he's, he's sad and he's depressed and he's only got one arm, like just not the guy at all. She fell in love with, but she still cared for him. And yet now she's seeing Turin and she's like, dang, this guy's really, really awesome. Like he, he even, he kind of reminds me of Baron is what she's thinking to himself. And she's like thinking about the story, Baron and Luthien, like how against all odds they came together and they loved each other. And I don't know. It's, she's struggling. Like her, Tolkien says her mind is, is torn between the two. Uh, but Tolkien also says that Turin was not like Baron with a big explanation point <laughs> for he didn't scorn her, uh, but he was glad to be in her company. You know, he didn't tell her, nah, get out of here. Like, I don't like you. He kinda, I feel like he kind of had her on the hook a little bit, like was enjoying the attention, enjoyed her company. And so he w- he, he didn't send her away. Um, but, you know, he couldn't offer the love that, that she wished because his heart was often and his mind was often elsewhere to to the next thing, whatever else lying is in his path. And so I kind of wonder, this seems similar to like an Aragorn Arwen parallel here where Aragorn like kind of likes the attention of uh, Eowyn there that he's getting, but he just can't offer her that love because his heart is somewhere else. Obviously, Aragorn had a love to go to in Arwen, you know, Turin doesn't really have that. But I don't know, it seems like there's kind of a, a little bit of a parallel there. Yeah, I would agree. I actually was thinking the exact same thing when I was reading through this again, where it's like, yeah, it really, in it's funny that your houses of healing, <laughs> hey, yeah, read yeah. through or little snippet from from uh, earlier on in the podcast came up because yeah, it's Aragorn and it's Ar- Eowyn just he's already you know elsewhere with his thought he knows what he needs to do and he knows who he's gonna marry, whereas in this Turin he's kind of more oblivious. He doesn't have that love component, but he's so driven by his hatred of Morgoth that there's no chance he's going to love her. Yeah, definitely no time to settle down and, and enjoy the company of a woman. So as they were talking though, Turin wanted to encourage her. He wanted her to feel better and to not just dive into the fear that Gwyndor was, was giving her. So, you know, he mentioned, yeah, Gwyndor's, you know, he suffered a lot and he's, he's still got a, there's still a lot of healing that has to come from that place of fear. Like, you know, what he's saying, it's just out of fear. There's nothing to be worried about. Nargothrond is going to stand. And even uh, Morgoth the Craven, as he says, will never come out of Ingbed again. Yeah, he's, he's, he'll send out his minions, whatever. We can take care of that. Nargothrond is strong and it is going to stand because of me is pretty much what he's saying. Like, because mm-hmm. I'm here. Nargothrond can withstand the the forces of Morgoth, and that is a very dangerous thing to say, as we'll see coming in a little bit later. But 
again, Turin is showing his pride and he's, he's like, man, we, we can do anything because I'm at the helm. I'm in charge of the armies. We're going to be fine. <laughs> but I guess maybe he doesn't understand or know the name of the next chapter. <laughs> yeah. Talk about foreshadowing there. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, this is what Turin's been after the whole time, right? Like he's finally a Lord amongst a very strong people that are capable of, of war. And that's what he was wanting the whole time. And, and now it's where he's at. And he's, like you said, he's getting cocky. He's prideful. Um, and I almost wonder too, if this is like a little bit of Morgoth's long play is that, yeah, he's captured him once before and this and that, but Turin is virtually always won his battles, except for when um, he had to be rescued uh, by, by Beleg and Gwyndor. And so I almost wonder if sub, you know, subtly Morgoth is trying to increase his his pride and, and cockiness so that he can once and for all just stomp through Nargothrond. Yeah, absolutely. I I wouldn't I could totally see I mean, he got him to build the build the bridge, right? I mean the the bridge over the river Narog, like Turin yep. Turin said, Hey, we gotta build this bridge so that we can go go out there and fight Morgoth. And yeah, that's exactly what Morgoth wanted to happen. Because now there's yep. a way to get to Nargothrond. Yep, exactly. Um, so at this point, Turin seeks out Gwyndor um, because, like Sam mentioned, he could see him falling back into his deep, dark thoughts and his sadness. And he tells Gwyndor that healing will come in the house of your kin in the light of Finduilas and in the light of Finduilas, which is kind of an interesting comment because at this point, you know, Gwyndor is like, yeah, you're stealing her from me. What do you <laughs> mean in the light of Finduilas? And that just shows Turin's oblivious to what Finduilas is feeling. Yep. But he didn't take too kind. Gwyndor didn't take too kindly to this. And he just kind of, his face was grave and he just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, and so Turin, I mean, they're friends. He starts to, to push back and question him. And he says, often your eyes have gazed at me strangely as of late. How have I grieved you? I have opposed your counsels, but a man must speak as he sees, nor hide the truth that he believes for any private cause. I would have that we are one in mind, for I owe you a great debt, and I shall not forget it. Which is a very long Tolkien-esque way of being like, yo, what's good, bro? What's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do like the way he says it, because he's like, hey, I know we've disagreed, but it's a, that's a disagreement's okay. I need to speak my mind as I see fit. And yeah. even though we disagree, I still want you on my side. I still want to be friends with you. And I don't know, the world today could live with a little bit more of that kind of mindset personally 100 percent. i completely agree I, I thought of that when i was reading this too it's just like the fact that he's willing to say hey i love you man regardless of our disagreements you know i've right. i've lost friends over just stupid petty little political things that it's like i i don't even have a big stand on this i just said this and then you just freaked out and were like all right i can't be with you we're just like we we've had so much life together we've done things together where it's like we can disagree and be okay, can't we? Like, can't we just disagree and, and still love each other, still hang out, still be friends? And so I totally understand where, where Turin's coming from here. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It's a little bit of wisdom that, you know, you can pull from Tolkien's writings and apply it to your life today. It's crazy how often that happens. Oh, yeah. Kind of like we've talked about in previous podcasts. I don't remember which one, but Tolkien uses story to make you, you know, reflect on your own life yeah. <laughs> it's pretty impressive absolutely um, 
And so how Gwendor responds really tells all to us as the readers, but it leaves Turin confused and he still doesn't understand. And he, he basically says to Turin, he's like, your deeds and your counsels have changed my home and kin and your shadow lies upon them. Why should I be glad who has lost all to you? Which is a very pointed response, mm -hmm. and it leaves Turin confused because he thinks they're friends. He doesn't see what Finduilas is saying, and I think, kind of focusing in on, he says how he's changed his kin. It's like my home and my kin are changed because of you. It's like, yeah, these elves were were stealthy elves. They didn't go out openly and fight, and everything has changed. Like this isn't this isn't Gwyndor's home anymore. And so it, it makes sense that it's really hard to to bear when you're Gwendor and you've seen Angband and you've been a thrall of Morgoth and you come back and you're like, I just want my home. And your girl's mm -hmm. taken, your councils are shot down, you're a cripple and therefore your status is a lot less. He's, he's lost everything to Turin. Yeah. And in yeah. Turin's pride and cockiness, I just don't think he's even aware of any of that. Yeah, he doesn't understand how his actions or the things he's done comes out on other people. And that's something that I've seen a lot with, you know, certain people in my life recently, even some students where they just like they just put their head down and they do stuff and it's it's all for them. And they don't understand how sideways like coming out on it's hurting the people that care about them. <clears throat> and yeah, I kind of see how Turin's just like not understanding. Oh, I'm just I'm just doing what's right. Like, this is good. I'm. I'm yeah. rousing the elves, and we're going to defeat Morgoth. It's good, man. But you're right. I mean, Gwyndor lost everything. Yeah, which is another reflection. I know at points in time in my own life, I've acted in ways that I felt like I was acting justly, and I was oblivious to kind of the casualties around me. And when when that is thrust back in front of you, and you realize that it's like, oh, snap. Yeah. And then Gwyndor's statement about your shadow and he's talking about your shadow lies upon them. And I don't think he's talking about Turin exactly. I think he's talking about Morgoth's curse that Turin walks around with, which is interesting. It just, it's a way for Morgoth's curse to resurface uh, throughout, throughout the story. So after this conversation, Gwyndor sat alone in the dark and he cursed Morgoth and his thought. And he was thinking to himself, he's like, I really do believe the rumor of Angband and that Morgoth has cursed Turin and all his kin. Like, I really, really believe that. Which is interesting because last chapter, at the end, when Turin asked Belek, or I'm sorry, Gwyndor, if he had seen Hurin, um, he's like, no, but the rumor is that he cursed Turin's, or Hurin's kin. And Turin's like, that I do believe. And now... And now it's kind of a, you know, a mirror to that as Gwyndor is saying the same thing. Like, wow, yeah, I really, I believe it too now. So after that, with all this conversation with Turin, he's, you know, Gwyndor is upset. He's frustrated. He's hurt to the core. He's confused. And so he seeks out Finduilas to be like, all right, we need to, we need to get on the same page here. Mm -hmm. And he challenges her as to why she's been avoiding him and why it seems that there's a rift between them. And he tells her, for Morgoth has laid my life in ruin. You still I love, but go whither love leads you, for I am become unfit to wed you, my, and neither my prowess nor my counsel have honor anymore. And that's just like, ooh, he's basically saying, if you love her, let her go, and he's letting her go, but he's also saying, like, I'm nothing anymore. Like, I am nothing. Yeah, that's, that's a tough thing to admit, I can imagine. That's... 
That takes a lot to to say that and to say, hey, I, I love you. We were supposed to be married, but hey, go chase Turin. That's fine. <laughs> but Fenduilas hears this and she begins to weep and she starts crying. But but Gwyndor challenges her again and 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 stating that it's not fitting for the Eldar children to wed the younger, meaning it like the, the elves to wed men. Um, he tells her that they too pass briefly and that fate won't allow it to happen more than once or twice and only for some high cause of doom that we do not perceive. Again, thinking about Baron and Luthien, again, thinking about Aragorn and Arwen, like these are very special circumstances. It doesn't happen very often um, that an elf and a, a man wed. I think only Baron and Luthien are the only ones up to this point that have ever done that in Tolkien's world. So. Yeah. I was going to say, and there, I looked up the timelines. This is only about 45 years after Baron and Luthien, um, give wow. or take. So this is probably on the forefront of, of Fenduilas' mind. Yeah, okay. 40, yeah, that's not, and, that, and for an elf, that's really not that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty recent for them. So yeah, Gwyndor then continues to, he instructs Fenduilas and tells her that, you know, Turin's not barren in the same way that T- Tolkien said, Turin's not barren with an exclamation point. He's like, yeah, Turin's not barren. And, you know, as, as brave as he is, as valiant as he is, there's a doom that lies upon him. And, you know, your love is going to betray her to bitterness and death. Like, if you just hold on to this guy, the shadow that follows him is going to wreck your life and bring you to death. So... At this point, he even steps out of line and kind of betrays Turin by saying, though he be indeed Agarwain, the son of Umarth, his right name, he's, he's saying his right name, which again, Turin was like, I don't want anyone to know this. I'm hiding from it. He says his right name is Turin, son of Hurin, whom Morgoth holds in Angband and has cursed all his kin. Doubt not the power of Morgoth Bauglir. Is it not written in me? Like I have... All the, the the power of Morgoth has been shown through my anguish and through my my suffering, and so don't don't doubt his power. Turin has maybe tried to encourage you, saying he's got this, he's gonna take care of this. That's not the case. Um, just look at me. <laughs> is pretty much what he's saying. And so again, he he kind of betrays Turin, gives her his actual name here. So Vindula, she she responds in an interesting way, and and basically twel- tells Gwyndor that. Now, she still loves Gwyndor in a, in a way, but that she's been also overtaken by even greater love for Turin that she can't escape. And she even says, I did not seek it, and long I put it aside. Like, I, I was really trying to to go against it. I, I didn't want it to happen. I was still in, in love with you. I, I, I just, we spent some time together. We hung out, and, and it happened. And I mean, again, I think this is something that even Tolkien's maybe in his vast wis- wisdom is cautioning men who men and women who who are engaged in a relationship you know marriage is is sacred and yes you can have friends of the opposite sex but if you spend a lot of time with them alone like it can lead to a romantic interest where love can actually build from that and so i think he's even like telling the readers be careful of that be careful of where that can lead because it might seem really innocent at first you're just hanging out being friends one-on-one no big deal and then you know, the longer you guys hang out, the more love that you may gain for that person. So I don't know. I think that's, yeah, that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. That's definitely an interesting aside there. Yeah. But she does tell Gwyndor, Turin doesn't love me. <laughs> Turin doesn't love me the way I want him to. And he never will. They go back and forth for a little while and Gwyndor calls Turin proud and, and Findelas responds, but he's also merciful. 
and he's not yet awake, but still pity can ever pierce his heart, and he will never deny it. Pity, maybe, shall be ever the only entry to his heart, but he does not pity me. He holds me in awe, as we're, as were I were both his mother and a queen. So again, he's he sees me as this big old beauty, but not as somebody who he romantically can get involved with. I've, he's, she's not pierced his heart, as she mentioned. Again, she's very perceptive of Turin here, and I mean, thus far we see that that the only way to Turin's heart has been through pity. When he sees Belig tied up, his heart is pierced, and he's like, "Oh gosh, I need to stop being a bad outlaw," you know. And so the only time that he actually feels something for people is is through um, pity. With you think about again Labadol and through Meme, it, it just happens again and again where he takes pity on somebody and then blesses them or, or tries to change his way uh, because of them. So. Upon hearing that Gwyndor betrayed Turin's rightful name to Findulas, he confronted Gwyndor, Turin did, and he said, In love, I hold you for rescue and safekeeping, but now you have done ill to me, friend, to betray my right name and call down my doom upon me, which I would lie hid. So again, Turin still thinks that his name is the issue, that his name is what is cursed, and so he's trying to run from this, and they again go back and forth for a little bit, but the conversation ends with Gwyndor saying, Dude, the doom lies in yourself, not your name. Like, take some responsibility. This curse is on you. It's not going away. So that's the end of the chapter. Here, here Tolkien ends it with, again, a, a brief paragraph on updates on Morwen, which I thought was interesting as I was reading about this, because I was like, oh, yeah, she still exists. I forgot about her. Mm-hmm. Um, which is actually, I, I read the next chapter because I was just so in, engulfed in this. Like, I just wanted to keep reading and keep soaking it in. And it, it makes a lot of sense that he would bring her up right before the next chapter because the dialogue between Turin and this other guy was it blew my mind like I was just <laughs> freaking awesome let's go um yeah but you'll have to wait for that <laughs> but uh Tolkien says that you know due to uh the Mormagil the power of Morgoth west of Sirion was stemmed and the woods had peace because of this Morwen and Neonor were able to leave Dorn Loman and they headed southeast to Doriath where they were able to go to the halls of Thingle and um you know, they, they were grieved. Morwen was very grieved that Turin was not there with Thingol, but uh, she was honored by Thingol and Melian, and they were taken in to Doriath to be kept safe, which is really important to remember and hold on to for the next chapter. Yeah, and kind of like I mentioned earlier on, um, the contrast between the last chapter and then this chapter and then the next chapter um, is really amazing because Tolkien just uses different vehicles to show us the struggle and the hardships of Turin's life. You know, the last chapter, like I mentioned earlier, he killed his best friend and he was in this daze. And this next chapter is crazy. And like Sam mentioned, it's, it's the, some of the dialogue in it is amazing. We might just have to read it straight up. Um, Oh yeah. Incredible. Um, But this chapter itself, there's not really anything happening other than, you know, Tolkien's basically saying, yeah, they've gone out and they've fought and, you know, his prowess is great, blah, blah, blah. But it's not an action-packed chapter, but it really gets into kind of Turin's heart and the the casualties that he has around him due to his actions that he's completely unaware of. And so this is Morgoth's shadow. It's the curse that he put on his father um, coming out in different ways. There's there's nowhere that Turin can hide from from Morgoth's curse, whether it be in an action-packed, you know, episode or chapter of, you know, people dying and Turin fighting, or if it's really close to home with the people that are closest to Turin. Nobody can escape it because there's just casualties all around him. 
Yeah, you'd think at some point he'd be able to recognize this and do something about it, like maybe go into exile or, I don't know, just go to Morgoth on his own and be like, all right, let's 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 finish this. But, you know, he... Instead, he keeps changing his name and trying uh, to do the exact same thing he did over and over and over. Yeah, he's like, well, if I change my name, Morgoth won't know it's me, and then the, tr- the curse is going to die with that last name, and I can still be a leader among elves and men, and people are going to love me, and... You know, I'm I'm gonna be able to be this huge hero for everybody. You know, the way that it should be. But yeah, we see that that's not the case. And it, it, wherever he goes, disaster strikes. And we'll see that in in the next chapter. Any other uh, final thoughts on on this chapter? Anything uh, you've you've felt up to this point on on the book? Pretty much from here on out, it just is hard hitting. One thing after the next, after the next. And yeah, I'm excited to see. Where where uh, your mind goes because if you were so excited about the uh, dialogue between Turin and the character that uh, is upcoming, it'll be interesting to see what you think about some of the rest of this. Yeah, I'm soaked again. Like I mentioned before, this is all kind of a brand new experience for me, a journey for me, as I've never gotten this far into this book. And I know again bits and pieces of it. I, I unfortunately know the ending. I wish I didn't, but I do. <laughs> and so. <clears throat> But, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm loving it. Like I told Seth, this I was reading it this morning and I couldn't put it down. I, I was typing away and, you know, I got I got the whole whole next chapter all put together for us. And so, you know, hopefully we'll be able to take take care of that soon, maybe next week for y'all. So we don't have, you know, a couple, two, three weeks in between podcasts like, like has been the case at some points. But yeah, exciting stuff. It really is. And I love, because it's all brand new to me. You know, I, I got in a little phase with, Tolkien where it was like everything that I've read I've knew because I read The Hobbit again I read Lord of the Rings again if I go back and watch the movies again which I love doing it's stuff I've seen before you know and now it's like this is something brand new to me that is I mean it's taken a little while for me to get into the book and feel like it's I really truly get it and understand it but now that I do and and being able to flesh it out with you understanding even more so kind of all the connections of of Tolkien's universe it's it's really sparked that that excitement I've I've had for his works again so I appreciate awesome. it. Thank you. Yeah, it's, no, it's great. I'm I'm really enjoying this, and I hope those few of you that are listening are quite enjoying it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And for those few of you, Gondor's calling for aid. <laughs> we're calling for aid. We're breaking into the halls of Metaseld, and we're shouting, "Gondor calls for aid." Will you? rohan answer so if you enjoy the podcast please like subscribe leave a review uh, light a beacon of your own tell your friends and fans uh, about our podcast and uh, send in your token story or your thoughts on children Hearn to weck podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear your thoughts again if you're excited about turin uh, or if you're sad about him or you just maybe don't like the character because of his pride uh, let us know we would love to have some dialogue with you all don't want to do this in isolation want to do it as a fellowship so make sure to do that but like i said next week we're going to jump into the next chapter children Hurin, chapter 11 i'm not going to say the chapter name because that'll give some stuff away but again we thank you so much for joining us for some well-earned comforts until next time we bid you a very fond farewell